The rest of us are going to be in 2 Corinthians this morning, so if you have a Bible, you can find the second letter to the Corinthians. Later in my mother's life, she was, um, sometimes she worked at estate sales. And I think she probably worked at estate sales. It probably happened because she was in the jewelry business. And I think the owners of this business knew she could price jewelry and understood jewelry and it kind of helped them. And so then they became friends. And she met so many interesting people working at estate sales. Not only the people who would come to buy other people's things, but also the other people who would work at the estate sales. And there was one elderly German woman um, that she befriended, and I think she even visited the church one time uh, when we were in a different building. And uh, so as a follow-up, since she visited the church, I went over to her home, probably with my mom, to share the gospel with her, to talk to her, and find out how we might be able to help her. And she had quite a library. And uh, she knew I was into books, and she wanted me to see her library, so I'm looking at her library, and she said, if there's a book you'd like to have for my library, you, you can have a book for my library. And so I was looking around, and it was nice of her, and so the book that caught my eye and the book that I grabbed was a book I'd never seen before. I'd never touched it before, I'd never seen it before, uh, and I pulled from her shelf Mein Kampf by Adolf Hitler. A horrific book written by a horrific man. And I pulled the book out and I was looking at it. I just thought, I, I can't believe this woman has this book. I can't believe anyone has this book. And, and, and she said, oh, do you like Hitler? <laughs> I kid you not. I, I was speechless. I, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to process it. I never, I didn't think, I, I just didn't get it. I have no idea what I said. It was so weird to think that anyone would like Hitler. A horrific, horrific person who did horrific, horrific things. I bring him up this morning, though, to say that Adolf Hitler no doubt had strong convictions. He had strong convictions based upon not reality, not based upon fact, but fantasy or something. His conviction was that he wanted to exterminate, he wanted to annihilate and destroy the Jews because they weren't real people. They're lesser. Now, thankfully, there were people who opposed him um, and did everything they could to save Jews. My favorite is Gino Bartali, who freed over 800 Jews hiding paperwork in his handlebars on his bicycle. That's why he's my favorite. He won the Tour de France as well. Because his convictions were the opposite. His convictions were that Jewish people are real people made in the image of God, and we have to do everything, even risk our welfare and risk our life to save them from this awful, awful man. My point is, both individuals had strong convictions. We're talking about convictions today, and I don't want to be misunderstood. Just to, I want you to have strong convictions. But strong convictions can be horrible. Strong convictions for Christians need to be based upon reality based upon what God has said. The Apostle Paul is helping the Corinthian church and he's helping them because they don't have strong enough convictions about the right things. His convictions are strong because Jesus himself talked to him. Jesus himself explained to the Apostle Paul who Jesus really is, what Jesus really did, and as I like to say, Jesus himself interpreted the meaning of Jesus and his actions. So it's not left up to interpretation. And that led the Apostle Paul to be a, a, a human being with strong convictions. The right credible source rightly interpreted that people need to know and understand for eternal life immovable convictions, therefore, and that led him to have priorities that were not up for negotiation. And so he's helping the Corinthian church because they don't have these settled convictions, and therefore they don't have their strong, immovable priorities, and therefore they're being easily swayed away to doing, believing, and prioritizing things that ought not be prioritized. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, by the way, it is the mother load. Okay, we're, we're going to read some things this morning that, that are like nothing you've ever read before. But let's go ahead and look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'm going to focus on the end of the passage um, 
because we read through the whole thing last time, and I don't want you to, I don't want you to, I just want you to see the end for now. Verse 16 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and it just gets better and better and better. Verse 16 says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what we're going to do now is review ever so quickly. Um, I was a member of a church for a while. Some of you were as well. That The pastor reviewed for like 25 minutes every week and did like 15 minutes of new stuff. So I kind of like that. I could get a part-time job. But I, I won't do that, that kind of review. Um, we'll just review ever so quickly for what we saw last time and then move on. So there are, I, I'm highlighting eight priorities, eight priorities that come from settled convictions. Uh, these are for, for you if you're, as an individual Christian, priorities from settled convictions. Um, but for us as a church, um, priorities from settled convictions. So eight of them in the whole text, the whole text actually going back to verse 11. And last week we looked at the first six of eight. So the first six of eight, I'm just going to read them. Um, and if you want to write them down, you can, but for the sake of those who weren't here last week, but I'm not going to reread the verses. So first priority for authentic ministry from settled convictions. Number one, knowing the fear of the Lord. Knowing the fear of the Lord in verse 11. Number two, second priority from settled convictions, persuading others to please Christ. Persuading others to please Christ, also in verse 11. Next priority, number three, valuing God's opinion most. Valuing God's opinion most, also in verse 11. Number four, next priority, for the church and for individuals, equipping with appropriate answers. We've got to be equipping with appropriate answers, verse 12. Number five, fifth priority, rolling with criticisms. Rolling with criticisms, like rolling with the punches, you just have to take them in verse 13. Number six, next priority, being controlled by the love of Christ. Being controlled by the love of Christ in verses 14 and 15. Because he loved us, that leads us to want to do the right thing out of his love for us. Did I do six of them? Okay. Sometimes I review and we read the verses, sometimes we don't. I just want to get to the heart of the matter today. Number seven. A priority for us. But we, to have a priority, we have to have the conviction or the priority is going to change. And by the way, to have a conviction, you have to be clear about it. So one thing I'm going to try to do is be clear. And I'm going to try to do my very best to take you by the hand if need be and, and help you to be clear on this stuff. Um, I remember years ago, I was trying to do something really, really hard, and I really wanted to do it. I wanted to do it so badly. I wanted to do it probably sinfully, even though it wasn't a sinful thing. I wanted to do this thing so badly watched videos, read magazines, talked to coaches. I wanted to do this thing, and I couldn't do it. And then I don't know how it happened. Somehow, I understood how it worked. I understood the mechanics. For the first time, like in years, I understood the mechanics, and then I could do it. If we don't understand how something works, what it means, for sure we're not going to have convictions. Now, you might kind of have convictions because the pastor said we should. And yeah, this is right. This is good. We need to own this. Yeah. But if you don't understand it, you'll never own it. And it'll never really be your conviction. And therefore, it won't really be your priority. 
and therefore you're going to be easily distracted, easily misled. So I hope today that we'd have clarity of understanding, conviction, priority, glory of Christ. Number seven, the seventh priority for us is wanting to be an authentic, legitimate ministry regarding every Christian as a new creation. Regarding every Christian as a new creation. The Apostle Paul, through the illumination and inspiration of the Spirit, wants us to see other people, that would include ourselves, every single person who is a Christian, to see them in Christ, to see them as a new creation. If you look around the room, in this room, there's all kinds of different people. All kinds of hobbies, all kinds of family life, all kinds of education, background, where our ancestors came from, all all different kinds diverging in this room together. But if you are in Christ, if you're united to Christ by faith, you are a new creation. And even though we can appreciate all the differences, or not appreciate the differences, (laughs) we're the same in Christ. In a good sense, we're the same in Christ. He, he, he wants us to, 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 to think that way and see things that way and to see the world that way, to see the church that way. How about verse 16? From now on, I, now that we're Christians, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. So how do I regard people when it comes to Christ in the church? Now, I regard people differently when it comes to jobs, competency, education, right? We regard people in different ways. If somebody's good at something, bad at something, qualified, not qualified, we regard people all the time. We evaluate them. But here he says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the external, the way things see, the way things are, the way they are seen with, the way they are naturally, the way they merely appear. Keep going there with me, if you would, in verse 16. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. And I think what he means, and commentators generally agree with this, what he means is we used to see Jesus as, as... just the natural human being from born on the wrong side of the tracks. Um, Son of Mary and Joseph with kind of a questionable kind of background. Carpenter's son. We used to regard Christ, especially those living in that time, as for who you saw, for who he was. Not not of any stately uh, appearance. He's from Nazareth, right? I'm using self-control. I'm not making any jokes about the other side of the river. Um, depending on which side you live on, never mind. Okay, so we used to see him as, as that kid, that guy, that man, maybe even worse than that because of what he taught. No, we, we don't regard him that way anymore. We regard him thus no longer. Now! By the power of the Spirit, regenerating, eyes open, seeing Him for who He is, we regard Christ as the the one who is the eternal one, the long ago promised one who would deliver His people, the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of that. He's the one who, who did everything right on behalf of those who did wrong. He's the one who went to the cross and was treated as a criminal and crucified and made atonement for sins and was raised from the dead. And everyone who believes in Him will be raised from the dead too. And God accepts them, as Pastor Mike read earlier, earlier, we've been reconciled to God. We have peace with God, Romans chapter 5. That's how we regard Jesus now. And every Christian I know would say, that's right. In a Baptist church, they'd say, amen. Right? I hope in your little heart you're saying amen. I agree. I agree. We, we regard Christ, Christians regard, every Christian regards Christ as that, as the Savior, as the sufficient Savior, the all-powerful Savior, the one in whom you can trust and you can't trust anybody else. That's how we regard Jesus. And where he's going is now it's also time to change your vision and perspective on how you regard other people who believed in Jesus. Because they've been united to him by faith and they're guaranteed resurrection too, glorification too. They're just like you. They're just like you. 
as one person put it, now we, we, we don't regard them based upon national origin. We don't regard them based upon social status. We don't regard them based upon intellectual capability. We don't regard them based upon physical attributes. And the list could go on and on and on. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone, I underlined anyone, right? This is, this is, this is inclusive. If anyone is in Christ, that's, that's inseparably united to him. Okay, when we, when we talk about being in Christ, again, let's make sure we understand. For, for so much of my Christian life, I didn't understand in Christ. I just saw that it was everywhere. I knew it was important, but I didn't really understand it. In Christ, united to Christ. When you trust in Jesus, you are in Christ. You're united to him. He died, you died. He has been raised, you have been raised. Okay? Glorification. Glorified, yep, yep. All, all the, that's why people say you receive Christ and all of his benefits. To be in Christ, united to him. God the Father says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Well, guess what? If you're in Christ, the Father is well pleased with you. Not necessarily based upon you, but based upon him. Okay, so union with Christ, united with Christ. If anyone is in Christ, and by the way, all Christians are, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. True or false, some Christians are immature. True. Some Christians are mature. The Apostle Paul deals with that. In fact, I think he would accuse the Corinthians of being immature. We're not talking about that. Yes, we want to grow spiritually. Yes, we want to grow in the knowledge of God. That's one of the things he prays for for Christians. We want to be fruit-bearing. All of that is true. We're not all at the same place. I want to grow. I want to be more Christ-like. I want you to do that too. But positionally, having been accepted by God in Christ, we are all the same. And sometimes that's hard for me to get my mind around. And I want to treat people based upon what I see. And you probably do too. If I, could, if I can only, by God's grace, not regard people based upon how I see them in the here and now. I'm not saying I'm good at it. If anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. And isn't it weird how he says old things passed, new things have come? I think it's kind of strange because in one sense, I want to say, you don't know me very well. <laughs> right? They haven't come. They, they absolutely haven't come. And, and as a matter of fact, he, in, in other texts probably later in 2 Corinthians we're even going to cover it, we're not glorified yet. In another real sense, they haven't come. Okay? He's going to address false teachers who say everything should be good in this life. And he's saying, that's wrong, those are false teachers. But doesn't he contradict that here by saying new things have come? Isn't he saying everything is good in life? I'm not trying to trick you. In Christ, the old things have passed and the new things have come. It's secure. It's sure. It's absolute. You have not fully experienced these things yet. Until you see Christ, you will not be made like Him. You won't be glorified. But this is why theologians, this is why good Bible teachers say, this is, an, this is talking about a category we call already not yet. It's absolutely sure because Christ has already secured it. It's already done. And if you're trusting in Christ, you're in Christ, it's already yours. To the point where Paul can say, old things have passed away. New things have come. He's talking about already not yet stuff. Is what he's doing. So what I need to do is, and surely I want to do the right thing, because I'm living in the not yet. I want you to do the right thing because you're living in the not yet. But I also am going to have a skewed view of all, how all that stuff works if I'm not trying to remind myself and remind you about the already. These things are done. So if I can think of someone who I don't necessarily get along with very well. Oh, I shouldn't have thought, I shouldn't have thought that. Okay, I have a person in mind. 
if that person is in Christ, they're not here, by the way. It's none of you. If that person is in Christ, they are a new creation and old things have passed away and behold, new things have come. So I, 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 got, I got to see him different. I got to see him that way. And then we deal with the here and now amongst ourselves. Literally, God help us to see people in Christ. Help us to see people in Christ. It might help me to encourage you to see yourself that way too. Okay, you're going to struggle, you're going to have hard things, difficult things. Second Corinthians is filled with bad things in Paul's life. Some of the bad things, the hardships, are because he's a Christian. His life is worse in the here and now. You've got to see yourself if you're trusting in Jesus who is perfect. New creation. Even amidst the struggling. So no matter what has happened, no matter what the struggle is, if you're in Christ, old things passed away, behold, new things have come. That's how God sees you. Because you're in Christ. And that's how other Christians are supposed to see you. It's not an excuse. There's all kinds of exhortations in 2 Corinthians. But those exhortations, telling people what to do apart from this, leads to a different kind of religion. So we have to keep these things in mind. Sixteen is so helpful to regard no one according to the flesh. Now, there are voices outside of the church that are going to tell you otherwise. And there are voices inside of the church that are going to tell you otherwise. And there are voices in your head, perhaps, (laughs) that are going to tell you otherwise. I had occasion... Man, it's, it's my bad book illustration day for some reason. I had occasion this summer to read Karl Marx and his Communist Manifesto this summer. We won't be carrying it in the bookstore anytime soon. Um, I wanted to read it because I wanted to read it from the horse's mouth. And so many things seem to be similar to things that are promoted in our day. Um, Brilliant, brilliant philosophy on how to divide people and turn them against each other to gain power. It's anti-Christ was my walk away. It's anti-Christ. I should, I should see anyone and everyone as new creation in Christ if they're in Christ. There was a big Christian conference not too long ago and they segregated and actually had meetings for people with certain color skin tone. No one else allowed. The Apostle Paul would have had a fit We don't regard people according to the flesh. And if you regard me according to my flesh, then you're not acting like a Christian. And if I regard you according to the flesh, then I'm not acting like a Christian. And the philosophy is actually anti-Christ. This guy from the wrong side of the tracks who didn't have the right education or the right parents or the right affluence, this Jewish man is the one and only unique Savior who gave himself up for Jew and Gentile. That includes everybody, and we're one in Christ. It's important. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, I'll just read it. Uh, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, free, slave, but Christ is all and in all. And then he goes on to talk about doing the right thing. I'm motivated to do the right thing in your life when I don't view you as one of those kinds of people. People who are different from me. We've got to be clear on this stuff. We've got to have convictions about this stuff and priorities about this stuff, and it'll bring glory to Christ. Remember, this is what pleases Christ. Remember earlier in our text, 
where he talks about doing everything to please Christ. Well, this pleases Christ when we think like this. Okay, can we move on? You see how important this is? I'm hearing Christians tell me to to regard you as different and you to regard me as different. This is crazy. And please don't misunderstand, we are different in lots of ways, right? So what we're not trying to do is trying to to create sameness in everyone in all things. Um, But that's kind of a different story. When people want me to start a Christian club for such and such a hobby, I'm like, I don't want to do that with you. I want to do it with unbelievers, by the way. I, 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 want, I want to get out now and then. Because <laughs> they, they aren't church things. Um, they're, they're, they're not what we're called to, to be united around. Okay, I, I digress. Sorry about that. If, if, the, if we had an Omaha Bible Church cycling team and any of you called me things that other people call me on bike rides, <laughs> you'd be under church discipline. <laughs> You get the idea. <laughs> I'm, what Paul is not saying is that we are united in everything and we all have to like all the same things. He's not saying that. But in Christ, we are exactly the same. We've got we to gotta view each other that way. And anybody who tries to drive a wedge based upon those other kinds of things is up to antichrist kind of stuff. Okay, let's move on. Oh, this is a long one, okay? Only two points. So this point is really long. So if you're going to write, if you're writing down the points, don't stop now. You can do it. It's only 12 words, okay? The next point is 12 words. And the last time I checked, the Guinness Book of World Records, longest book title is 1,809 words. So long is relative. (laughs) A book title with 1,809 words? Hello. Okay. Um, 12 words. I really, really, really want you to understand this, okay? Here's the, here's the next priority. Number eight, understanding, affirming, and promoting, understanding, affirming, and promoting reconciliation with God, reconciliation with God in Christ by grace alone. I think that's a six-part sermon right there. Maybe I should have just done it that way. Understanding, affirming, and promoting reconciliation with God in Christ by grace alone. If I could, if I could somehow pay you to get you to understand these things, I would be tempted to do it. Whatever it's going to take to try to, 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 try to get you to, to grasp these things, because if you don't understand these things then you're going to be like the Corinthians. They don't really understand, perhaps, and that leads them to not have the strong convictions, and that leads them then to not have the right priorities, and now they're easily distracted, easily misled. I think every Christian can understand what we're going to see here in the next set of verses, verses 18 and following. So let's understand what, what he's saying. Let's be able to affirm it. Let's be able to promote it. And he's talking about reconciliation with God in Christ by grace alone, this is what I referred to when I said this is the mother load, okay? And to me, that means this is awesome, okay? This, this, is, this is the big one. It doesn't get better than this. How about, how about verse 18? Here we go. All this is from God. All of these things we've been talking about, reconciliation with God, new creation in Christ. Now we don't have to regard one another the way we see each other. Guaranteed resurrection, all of these things. The, all of this is from God. Okay? This is given. This is grace. This isn't earned. This is unlike any other religion that anyone is ever going to try to peddle. All of this is from God. You don't take credit for any of this. This isn't a new philosophy that we came up and it seems to work better than the other philosophies. All of this is from God. It's from Him, new creation, reconciliation. It comes from God. Then, let's keep moving, who through Christ. So all of this great reconciliation reality is from God, and then he says, who through Christ. Let's stop there. So God gives us this. How does He do it? He does it through Christ, through Messiah, through the long-awaited, long-anticipated promised one 
Messiah, deliverer, provider, savior, king, okay? Not tyrant king, but a deliverer, savior, provider kind of king who's for you, not against you. So he, God, all this is from God who through Christ, through his unique son, through the one that we used to regard not that way, but now we regard him differently. All of this is in his, through him. All of this is from God who through Christ... By the way, there's substitution in that as well because he's going to do this through someone else, not you, but it's for you. So it's substitution reality as well. I mean, I'm I'm writing in brackets after every portion. When it says through Christ, I wrote substitution representation of long-awaited promise deliverer Messiah. I think you can understand that. I want you to understand that. I want you to be clear on that. Then it says, keep going with me if you would, reconciled us to himself. God who has a holy, unique, inflexible, good, just, fair law and who alone is God and says, since I alone am God, I want you to treat me like I'm God. I don't have a lot of rules. I just want you to treat me like I'm God and I want you to treat everyone else like they're made in my image. God, through Christ, reconciled us. Oh, who's the us? Oh, sweet little innocent people. He's going to talk about this. No, we're the ones who violated God's law. Oh, you want us to treat you like you're you're God? No, we're going to treat ourselves like our God. We're in charge here, buddy. So now we've offended him. We've gone against him to the point where there's not reconciliation. There's conflict. And we're the violating party. So God, if God um, is going to be fair and give us what we deserve, He's going to give us condemnation. He's not going to give us what's good. He's going to give us what's bad. And so for God, through Christ, to reconcile us, the us is His enemies, are His enemies, whichever one it is. God, through Christ, does the otherwise impossible The undoable is done. How in the world do you have a God who is perfect, holy, righteous, and just and says the wages of sin is condemnation, death, and then we sin and deserve condemnation, death? How do you reconcile that? Here's the answer. You don't. It's impossible. You all can understand this. I want you to understand this. The impossible has to come from God, right? Through Christ. He's going to give His own unique Son, His eternal Son, who's going to take on flesh, born of a woman, born under the law, right? Galatians. And He's going to do all the right things for you so you can become a new creation. The love of Christ compels us. Remember that earlier? No, no wonder He says that. This is amazing. All of this is from God. Reconciled us to himself. So I wrote grace alone. To use theological jargon, I wrote monergistic. Some of you just come for the jargon, so there you go. To be monergistic, mono, one. One person does this. It's not synergistic where we work together with God because God helps those who help themselves. No, that would be anti-Christian. All of this is from God. It's monergistic. He is the one who moves. He is the one who reconciles. That's why we worship Him. That's why we want to do the right thing. The love of Christ that compels us to want to do the right thing and to do things for Christ's pleasure. Because He's done all this for us. I want you to be moved by that. I want you to understand it and own it and have convictions about it because then when somebody cuts corners on it and you say, uh, no, no, this isn't happening. We're not going there. But it's happening in Corinth. And Paul is wanting to re-impress them with the greatness of Jesus and, to, and help them to understand these things. I want to do that too. I don't. We better move on then to verse 18 where it goes on to say, and, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
So the Corinthian church is getting distracted with what their ministry should be, probably because they're distracted about what the content of the message is. Because uh, So he's reiterating the truth about Jesus. And then he's saying, this truth about Jesus, th- this is what our ministry is, not something else. God gave us the ministry. So even that's gracious, but he gave us that ministry, a ministry of reconciliation. So on my list, I have, he didn't give us the ministry of environmentalism. He didn't give us the ministry of health care. He didn't give us the ministry of political activism. And the list could go on and on and on. Other things that are good things. There are other things that are bad things. He didn't give us those ministries either. So we're so easily distracted... He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And he's going to go on to talk about what that looks like. But Omaha Bible Church is misguided with wrong priorities because of wrong convictions when we have a different ministry. Now, maybe you do those other things on the side because they're important and you're made in God's image and you want to help other image bearers and you want to be, you fill in the blank. We all have those kinds of things, I hope. But he's writing to the church and he's saying he gave us this content and and he's reconciled us to himself. And you know what our ministry is? Our ministry is, he's going to talk about this, is to proclaim that. Okay? He gave us a ministry of reconciliation. There are a million, bazillion, who knows how many, there are are lots of good things. But God called the church to have the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation not the many, many good things. We have to remember that. We have to remember that. We have to remember that. The ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19 is going to call it the message of reconciliation. See, it's proclaiming. Okay, let's move on. I'm getting too excited. Verse 19. He's going to reiterate. Okay, He's going to reiterate so we can be clear. That is, in Christ, so united to Christ by faith, that is in Christ, or excuse me, not in this case. It's, it's in Christ. It's through Christ. God was reconciling. Yeah, I, I, I shouldn't have put it that way. In Christ, God in Christ, God working through Christ. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Two important things to see there. God was reconciling the world to himself. So this isn't one way for certain kinds of people. This is the worldwide way. There's only one way. The other thing to notice is... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Notice the world of unbelievers are the ones who need to be reconciled to God. Do notice God doesn't need to be reconciled to anyone because God's not the offender. But in Christ, God's doing the undoable. Both groups aren't asking for forgiveness. Let bygones be bygones. Through God's provision in Christ, grace alone, reconciliation. It's awesome. And it only gets awesomer. <laughs> Let's keep going in verse 19. Not counting. So here's how. Here's how this reconciliation happens. Not counting or imputing or crediting is the concept. God is not counting their trespasses, that's a violation of God's law. Okay, if you have a no trespassing sign on your property, okay, don't violate my law. No trespassing. Trespass, you step over the line. You don't do the right thing. Okay, violation of law. Not counting or imputing their violations of God's law against them. And I wrote in my margin, this can only happen through atonement. For God to not count Pat's trespasses against me, because I've not loved God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I've not loved neighbor as self. That's a summary of God's law. I've trespassed in both ways, in various and sundry ways. (laughs) For God not to count that against me, there's only one way, and it has to be atonement. 
So Christ gives himself up for us, the just for the unjust, the righteous for the unrighteous, the lawkeeper for the lawbreaker, so atonement can happen and forgiveness comes as a result of atonement. So hopefully we understand that, not counting their trespasses. How could that happen? Only through atonement, which we would see elsewhere, not in our text, but he's giving it all condensed and packed in. And then it says, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And I think it's important that we see it's a message. So we can't live the gospel. We can live in light of the gospel, but we can't live the gospel because actually the gospel I live is a corrupt gospel because I don't live a perfect life. So I can't just say, just always look and see what I do and you'll be okay. I have to say, whether it's to my family or to you or to strangers, believers, unbelievers, I have a message. I'm telling you not about me. I'm t- yeah, I can tell you what's happened in my life, um, but, but it's already not yet. So maybe you shouldn't look so close at my life. Okay? You, I, I have a message of reconciliation. God in Christ, God through Christ, provides the reconciliation. He reconciles us, trespassers, to himself. And it's all from him. It's all by grace. You see? This is simply wonderful, but it really is simple and it really is wonderful. And I so badly want you to understand it so you have convictions about it, so you praise God for it, absolutely yes, but so we can have settled priorities, absolutely as well. This is our ministry. We have a a message ministry. We tell people about what happened in time and space, yes, but outside of us through Jesus who came here and did did these things. I think we're on verse 20. Are we? Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador, what? Represents. An ambassador is not hired for the job, if you will, not entrusted, that's better, not entrusted with that position so that they can um, really shine when it comes to creativity. They're representing someone else, right? A country, a person. Here, here we're representing God. So we're ambassadors. So so we're we're not supposed to color outside of the lines. We're not supposed to have a different kind of ministry. We have a ministry of reconciliation. And it's a message. And it's a message about God in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And so we're, we're those kinds of ambassadors. Got to remember that. It's not about our own convictions, but His. And then we keep reading, God making His appeal through us. I say, the grandeur of that. Why, why, why would we want to have a different kind of ministry? If we have a ministry of reconciliation, and how about the only way we can know that this is true is if we have the ministry of reconciliation, and we're talking about God through Christ. If we're doing that, we can know that God is making His appeal through us. What in the world? To have confidence? Right? I mean, this is going to come across as arrogant, perhaps. To really believe that God is making His appeal through us? If, if we really believe that that is true, I don't think we're going to be so easily distracted. God is choosing to use us to make this appeal to sinners. What else can we say with confidence that God is doing anything like that. God is making his appeal through us. And notice, it's not about us. Paul's whole thing is, it's not about me. But he's making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. In a lot of ways, we're just in the echoing business. This is what God says, God in Christ, so we echo that. Yeah, but people are looking for something else. I guess I'll have to go down the street. Yeah, but if you really want to... God is making his appeal through us, the ministry of reconciliation. It just doesn't, it, it doesn't get any more important or grand or wonderful. And think about other Christians who shared the gospel with you. Would you want them to do something else if you had a redo? No. 
So don't you do something else. 21. For our sake, he... He's referring to whom? I want you to understand this, right? For our sake, he, God, made him... Who's the him? Jesus. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin. Everywhere else we would look, even in 2 Corinthians, he means sin bearer. He means substitute. He means the one who has sin imputed to him. It's not his. He's sinless. But isn't it an amazing, powerful way, if we know that, how he says it with such force and such, um, I, I, should I say pointedness or bluntness? I don't know. It, it carries such gravity. He made him sin. The sin bearer, but he just he, he doesn't add the word even though we know that that's the intent. He made him sin. He's going to bear sin uniquely, awfully, horrifically, wonderfully, graciously for us. He made him who knew no sin, by the way, to be sin. Who knew no sin. So Jesus never trespassed God's law. So that in Him, that is in Christ, united to Him by faith, we know that's true because of verse 17. So I'm going to read verse 17 into verse 21 for help. So that in Him, in Christ, in Christ by faith, verse 17... We, I'm going to also write in my margin, we, the alienated, estranged, separated by sin ones, might become the righteousness of God. And I'm going to write in my margin there, verse 19, in Christ. So we become the righteousness of God in Christ, according to context from verse 19. I'm afraid I'm losing you. I went short last week. I'll, I'll hurry, but hang in there. That we might become the righteousness of God, and it's in Christ that happens. Righteousness is a what kind of word? Can't have convictions about this if you don't have clarity of understanding. Righteousness means what? It's a what kind of word? Some of you said. It's a, it's a legal word. It's a law word. Righteousness. It's, it's adherence to law. So if we have righteousness, we're seen as law keepers. All of this is from God. All of this is from God in Christ. But you see what's happened here, and Paul says it different ways in different places, but you see all in this greatly compacted text that's so heavy and rich, he's covered the not counting their trespasses against them, atonement, forgiveness, the removal, if you will, of our sin, but now he also in Christ, through Christ, because of Christ, he's also provided us with righteousness, adherence to law, law upholding, law keeping. So he covers both, okay? He covers both aspects, both benefits to us. Our great ministry, our great provision is Jesus Christ pays for our rebellion. Jesus Christ provides for our status before God as law keepers. So now God looks at, I'll just use myself, Pat, the sinner, as if I've never sinned. And he looks at Pat the sinner because I'm in Christ as if I've always done the right thing. As if I've always loved God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. All of my faculties, including motives. And he looks at me as if I've loved you and every other human being as myself. Appropriately as image bearers. And I hope in one sense you're thinking that can't be true. That's too good to be true. In one sense. That's impossible. All of this is from God. Reality in Christ. So, I, And all of the things I just said about myself are true about you if you've trusted in Jesus. We need to understand that. 
so that we can not only be blessed and want to honor Christ. I love it. He says earlier, the love of Christ compels us. What I've been telling you about is what God has provided for us in Christ, how Christ has loved you and and given you that status. And earlier in our text, that's what motivates you to do the right thing. Don't be a slacker. Don't, don't be living in your sin. Don't, don't, don't be living in the, in, in the muck and mire. Be compelled. It's such a great gift. And then also, let's own it so that it is the one and only message we would ever proclaim to other people. And literally, again, I'll say, God, help us. I know lots of pastors, sadly, and I've been one of them, let's do full disclosure, who have not been clear on what the word righteous means, who have not been able to give a clear explanation of what it means to be credited or to have imputation, Um, to not be clear on what it means for Christ to be sin, to not be clear on what lots of the things we... to be in Christ. Thankfully, God is patient and gracious. But if you're not clear, and I think you're clear today, and if I'm not clear, here's what's going to happen. We can't have assurance, by the way. We can't have the kind of convictions we need to have that will sustain the priorities we need to have for us to have a legitimate, God has entrusted to us, ministry of reconciliation. Shall we be done? I think next week we might have to do cleanup. Come back to this. Chapter 6, he's then going to say, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And let me just tell you, he's not talking about marriage. Marriage would be one application. He's talking about joining in Christian ministry with people who don't believe these things about Christ. Well, you can't know how to do that if you don't find clarity on these issues. I think lots of people do wrong things because they're not clear. We're clear, so we're not going to do the wrong thing. Okay, I will pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the fact that you're patient with us and all of our weaknesses. Thank you for forgiveness in Christ, for atonement from sin. Thank you for reconciliation, for resurrection, for the fact that Jesus ascended and even right now as our high priest claims us as his own and he's interceding on our behalf. We're grateful for these things. May the men and women and boys and girls who are here this morning understand, comprehend, believe, own, have conviction, and may the world be a different place as a result. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.